Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian priests here at the National Shrine, and as always, I think we're at number 134 episodes. We're approaching our third year of explaining the faith as I'm going back, taking you to seminary with me, cracking out the seminary notes. You've always heard me say that was my favorite time of my life was being in seminary. And I just wanted to share that with the world. And one of the genuine gems of our Catholic faith is the saints. This is a gift we have from God, not to be despised, just discarded, but to rather be embraced. And after my trip to Ireland just a couple of weeks ago, my life changed. And I figured this with St. Uh, uh, Patrick's feast day coming up this Friday, it was a perfect time to talk about this saint and, and what's happening in Ireland. So we're glad you'll join us. We're going to separate fact from fiction. There's a lot of both. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us. We ask you to bless all of us in the West who are, are struggling in the darkness uh, to bless the people, bless especially Ireland, and through the intercession of St. Patrick, bring back the zeal of the faith to, to these incredible people. And uh, Mother Mary, wrap your mantle around us so that through the intercession of you and St. Patrick, we may all turn back to God. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So yes, today we're going to separate fact from fiction, talking about this bishop and patron of Ireland, St. Patrick. Now, I just mentioned that my trip... My trip to Ireland, it was short, and, and I'm going to be going back. I, uh, I feel I got to go back. And that's what happened to St. Patrick. He was actually enslaved over there. He was freed. He escaped. And then he said, I got to go back. I got to go back. And so I, I, I had a chance to experience some of the most devout the portion of the country that was devout, I think, were all at that conference. We had, we had like 10,000 people at this conference and, uh, and the suffering that is going on is like nothing I've ever seen. The stories I heard in Ireland and I was talking about St. Patrick and, and his role and the suffering that's going on there. I really believe that those people there at that conference are bearing the, the, the cross of those who have turned away. You know, Ireland has, has turned away. They're the first country that the people voted in abortion and gay marriage. Even the United States, Roe v. Wade was not voted in by the people. It was forced upon us. Gay marriage actually, too, was a trickery of legislation from the bench. Um, this is a lesson because when we turn away from God, we face we face our own separation. It's not that God is punishing these incredible people, but that they're, they're bearing the cross um, of so much. You know, I, the stories I heard, I shared briefly in one of the homilies when I came back, you may have heard it, but some of the stories, there are just dozens of stories, but the ones that stuck out with me were this, this poor man that came to the table. We had a line a mile long and 
And he just patiently waited in this line. He didn't want a book signed. He didn't want to buy anything. He just wanted to share with me that the two most important things in his entire life, his wife and his child, and he said, Father, I, I mean, he couldn't even look at me. He's just, he was so, his head, he was, it was down, and you could just feel the sorrow. And he said that his wife took their precious 18-month-old baby and took her uh, and took the baby in her arms and went and stood in front of a train. And he lost the two things in this world that mean anything. And God bless him for being able to hold on to his faith after something like that. Then I had a couple come up to me that was so distraught. They lost their son their 16-year-old son to suicide. And the only consolation they had was that the girlfriend of this boy became like a member of their family, like, like their own daughter, and because their son loved her so much. And what happened was she kept telling them that on his birthday, because the boy who took his life, his birthday was coming up, and she told the parents of the, of the boy that on his birthday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be with him. And they thought that meant she was going to be at the cemetery. They thought that that meant she was going to go to the graveyard. And she said, on his birthday, I'm going to be with him. Well, on his birthday, she took her life. And so it's just the pain. But the thing that I think touched me the most at that whole conference <clears throat> is there was just this mass of thousands of people and I'm talking to people and I'm signing books and all of a sudden out of the full crowd out of nowhere breaks through two arms holding this baby and this cutest little boy and he had an oxygen mask on, he had the tubes hanging from him and these arms busted through and handed me this baby. And I took the baby. Here's a picture. You can look up on your screen. Here's a picture of this little baby. And I'm sorry, I don't mean for the people to run. I mean, you can look. Brother Mark will put it on your screen. Here's, here's a picture of that little baby. And look what he's doing. He just, he had no idea what was going on. He didn't know he was sick. Not only was this little baby sick and has a severe blood disorder, and as I'm holding him, he takes his little hands and he puts it up on my face, as you can see right there in the picture. The woman taking care of him told me that his mom died when he was only four weeks old. And then when he was eight weeks old, his twin brother died. This little guy is an orphan. And I said in my homily the other day that I, I was ready to call the general in Rome and say, do you mind if I adopt a little boy? <laughs> I want to bring this little boy back to the Marians, but I didn't think that would go too far. And so this nanny, I think she may have been an, uh, a relative. She's got this baby and she just, all she asked for me was to bless this little boy. And I was just, your whole life just changes when you see something like that. And what 
these people are going through. They're not bad. God's not punishing them, but they're bearing the cross for a nation that has turned away from God. And this is why St. Patrick is so important right now. And with his feast day coming up on Friday, pray for them. Please pray for our, I, I was never so moved. I, I always, always say that today's chosen people, and I still believe it, it's true, are the Poles, the Polish, because a spark will come from Poland to prepare the world for God's final coming, and the Filipinos, because they the, they're fanning that spark. They're spreading it all over the world. But you know, before the Poles and before the Filipinos was the Irish. And the Irish saved the church and Western civilization. And so let's talk about this because, you know, they're trying to be destroyed right now. You know, the first thing that woke wants to destroy in a nation that's Catholic is to erase its history. This is what they want to do. In America, we're all being told that we're systematic racists, which is not true. We keep bringing back the wound of slavery like it was only a racist thing. Do you know where the word slavery comes from? The word slave, S-L-A-V-E, comes from the word Slav. And the word Slav are European Caucasian whites that were enslaved more than any race. That's how the word slave got its name, from Slav. My ancestors were enslaved. Christian Slavic people. So this is not just a black against white issue, a racist issue. It's a broken humanity issue. And so we have to understand that, but woke will change us. Now, Irish history is being erased and it's because it's union with the church. It's church history. It's Catholic roots. It saved the church and it saved Western civilization. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, Thomas Cahill has a great book, How the Irish Saved Western Civilization. And a lot of people will ask, well, how? Aren't they a bunch of drinkers? Okay. This is the reputation that they have, right? Well, in the fifth century, listen to this. This is fascinating. The Irish lived in fear. They were terrified of monsters, sudden death, and the instability of life. Even the pagans back then were more spiritual than we are today in post-Christian world. All right. Because of this, they drank themselves into a drunken stupor almost every night in order to sleep. This was what they did. This is why they got the reputation of being such drinkers. Because they were terrified of monsters, sudden death, and the instability of life. Let's look at our next slide. I didn't even know this till I did research. You know what Patrick's name is? Maywin Sukkot. Maywin Sukkot. There's his name on your screen. M-A-E-W-Y-N, Maywin. Last name Sukkot, S-U-C-C-A-T. Now he called himself in his writing Patricius. And that's where he got the name Patrick. Now, we don't know when he was born and died. Some are say, some historians say as early as 387, dying in 460. Others say he was born as late as 402, dying in 493. Whatever the point, 
And whatever it is, Patrick changed the world through the church. He was a missionary bishop, not from Ireland. He was from England, from Roman England. And he provided an alternative to the people. He was a serene man who slept well. So I'm going to pray to him. Pray to him if you can't sleep. He didn't drink, but he feared nothing like these monsters or death. Some say Patrick was the first human in history to oppose slavery. We just talked about slavery. You know why? He was a slave. That's why I brought up slavery. Patrick was a slave. And so the Christianity that he proposed succeeded because it took away the dread of the world and showed the goodness of God. And once they were Christianized, the Irish founded a monastic movement. The monks really became important, especially between the fall of Rome and the Middle Ages, that thousand-year period, which I believe was a thousand-year reign of the church. The Irish monks were everything. All right. They copied books that were being destroyed everywhere else in the world by barbarians. They brought those books back after copying them. The monks copied scripture. The scriptures were being destroyed. The books were being destroyed. And they would take them back to the cities from which they came. You know that um, one of my seventh graders in catechism told me uh, that there was a bunch of monks copying and um it was you know some thomas aquinas used to dictate to the monks and they would write his he would answer different questions right and um so anyway this was way before the printing press and so the monks were copying and he noticed that um one of the monks was coloring and was, was writing in color. And he says, what's this? He says, that's our first color copier. <laughs> As the monks were, were copying. So we have a rich tradition here. And so when everything was being destroyed, the monks were saving it. Yet all we hear about is how rotten the church was. Wanted to destroy history, dis destroy the, the, the science. It's completely the opposite. Latin literature would have been completely lost. Think about what the world would be without the Latin tradition, Latin language, the Latin work, the Latin art, the Latin literature. All of that would have been lost without the Irish. Without books, the knowledge, the thought, and the poetry, all of that from the culture would have been disappeared, would have disappeared. The monks, the Irish, saved Western civilization. They also saved the church. They established monasteries all over Europe that were devoted to evangelizing. Okay, let's look at our next slide. Here's the Irish monks. They left their beloved homeland in Ireland and traveled all over Europe, especially Britain, bringing Christianity to these pagans. They swept across Europe. You know, confession the way that we have it today, thank the Irish monks. Many dioceses in Africa, Australia, especially America, benefited from the Irish clergy and the religious that preached the gospel, established the parishes, schools, universities, clinics, hospitals, 
Does this sound like an evil church to you? This is what was happening. They served both Catholics and non-Catholics. They served the community, helping the poor. In the United States, the Irish clergy took the lead in building new churches that served the immigrants that came over. Places like right here. I lived in North Carolina and I lived in here in the East in Massachusetts, all the textile, the, the, the plants, the manufacturing, the textiles, they were all immigrants. And the Irish monks, they came, especially here in the East Coast of the Midwest, and developed parishes and schools. Let's take a look at our next slide. How Catholic was Ireland? It was the most Catholic country in the world. Not even the traditional ones that you think of. Ireland, the most traditional or most Catholic country in the world. The Irish Constitution, listen to this. This is the opening of the Irish Constitution. In the name of the Most Holy Trinity, from whom is all authority. And it goes on. Obligations to our divine Lord Jesus Christ, who sustained our fathers through centuries of trial. They saved the church before and God may have them do it again. I really, when I was over there in Ireland, I was realizing they are a chosen people, just like the Poles or the Filipinos, because they came first. God can use them again. But we got to pray for them. They need prayer. They need St. Patrick. Do you know that in 1984, 90% of Irish Catholics went to Mass every week? Just by the year 2011, 20, uh, to over 10 years ago, less than 18% now go. They need prayer. So let's talk about St. Patrick. All right, let's go to our next slide. All right, this is St. Patrick, a forgotten history. Let's talk about some of the facts, and then we'll go some of the legends. All right, some of the facts. This Maywin Sukkot, who is St. Patrick, um, you know, we, as I said, was, became St. Patrick because he wrote Patricius as his name. He was a real person. He lived, some say the late 300s, most would agree in the 400s. They don't even know where he was born. They've narrowed it down to he was either born in Dunbarton, Scotland, Cumberland, England, or in Northern Wales. How ironic that none of that is Ireland. This is how God works. He's not even Irish but he was Roman Britain. And his dad was a deacon, and get this, his grandfather was a priest, but he was not a believer. Then at 16 years old, and with a bunch of others who were at his father's home, they were slaves. They were captured by Irish raiders and sold as slaves in Ireland. Patrick was a slave, <clears throat> and he was forced to work as a shepherd. Now, he suffered greatly, hunger, cold. However, what does God do? God always brings a greater good out of any situation. His situation was dire. He's enslaved. He's ripped from his home. He has nothing. He's freezing. He's starving. But yet God brings a greater good. You know what he did? His captivity brought about his conversion. See, during the long days attending sheep, he'd pray. Then under the long nights, day and night, he'd pray. For six years he did this, and after six years, he decided 
He had a vision that he could escape, so he escaped. Some believe to France, but later he returned to Britain from where he came at 22 years old. Okay, so he was enslaved at 16, taken to Ireland, held six years, has a conversion, escapes, now comes back to Britain at age 22. Now let's look at our next slide. He had a dream that there was a ship waiting for him to get him out of Ireland, to escape and to flee to Britain. So he walked 200 miles to get on the ship. And we complain when we got to walk 200 yards to a football game. Can't you get me a little closer? Can't you get me a little closer? And so after he arrived back in Britain, he walked another 28 days with no food, right? Later, this is what's fascinating to me. He described, he, we have two books I'll tell you about that he wrote. But he said he heard a voice of the Irish calling him back. And that's what I felt like after I left Ireland. Like, I feel this voice or hear this voice calling me back. I am coming back. By the way, if you're in Ireland, I'm coming back in the fall. September, October, they're just finalizing. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a cathedral tour of the cathedrals of Ireland to, to speak in conferences around the country. I, I just can't not go back. Same with St. Patrick. He's like, I got to go back. So he had this dream. Check this out that all of the children of Ireland in their mother's womb, doesn't this tell you something about abortion? That his dream, that all the children of Ireland in their mother's wombs were stretching out their hand. And I'm reading, I didn't know this until yesterday as I'm frantically trying to prepare this talk. And this, he had this vision of these hands coming out of, out of all the wombs of the mothers of Ireland. And all I could think of about it was this huge crowd. Many of them were women, most. And all of a sudden, here comes his hands as I'm at this conference holding this baby. And I'm just like, I, I, it's 2 o'clock in the morning last night, and I'm having this epiphany. And I'm like, I, it, it's, it's blowing me away what what the meaning of that is for the, 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 the importance of human life, which Ireland has voted to have abortion. And everybody up there told me, Father, we believe that election was rigged. People don't want abortion, but it got in. We need prayers. So he has this vision of these children in Ireland and their mother's womb stretching out their hands, becking him to come back. And so I'm like thinking of this little baby being handed to me. Come back to Ireland. This is where the church was first saved. It's like when I did a talk a couple weeks ago on Bahrain and Bono in, in, uh, in, um, um, uh, the, um, uh, in the Belgium. And it's like people wrote to me, Father, the faith is dying in Europe. Please have the Marian fathers help us. That's what I feel as part of our mission. Europe, I focus so much, and as I should, on the Philippines and, 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 and here in the United States, as we should. But we can't forget Europe. This is why I keep feeling God keeps poking me, saying, Europe, remember, the faith spread first to Europe. 
And so this is why we're here. So anyway, what happened? So um, because of his shortcomings in education, he was reluctant to go. So he wasn't, he felt inadequate, right? And so to help prepare, he traveled to France and spent years as a monk studying, praying, and doing penance. And you know who he met in France? His uncle. You I did not know this. I never learned this in seminary. You know who his uncle was? St. Martin of Tours. Let's show the slide. Remember St. Martin of Tours, the guy that took his cloak off when the beggar was down and he took his cloak and he tore it in half and gave half the cloak to the beggar? St. Martin of Tours. I always knew that story. I always knew St. Martin of Tours. I had no idea it was St. Patrick's uncle. And so there's a picture of St. Martin of Tours. His feast days, November the 11th. And so in France, he meets with him and he, be, he then vowed to become a priest. So he was ordained, some believe, around 432 and was sent then to Ireland. Even though he was being obedient, and if the church would have said, no, you're staying in England, he would have been obedient. But they sent him to Ireland to serve Palladius, who was actually the first bishop there. Patrick was not the first bishop in Ireland. Everybody says he was. It was actually Palladius who was sent there by Pope Celestin. Now let's look at our next slide. When Palladius died, Patrick was chosen as his successor and was consecrated bishop. See his picture there? By Germanus, the papal representative of the Irish. And so he went up and down Ireland, west to north, where the faith had never been preached to obtain the faith, to give the people the faith. So what happened? He got the protection of local kings, made numerous converts. Um, he it was emphatic, encouraging widows to remain chaste, young women to consecrate their virginity. This had never been heard of before. Kind of as foreign as it is today, trying to teach this. So Patrick experienced tons of success in converting the Irish. Now he baptized thousands. He ordained many priests, hundreds of priests, and new Christian communities started flourishing. So he converted a lot of wealthy women who then became nuns, right? In the face of their family opposition. Sounds familiar. Some of our guys face that. Some of our guys, the priests or the parents are pushing them. I, whenever I hear that a, a brother comes here and their, their parents, I've known three or four of them in our community that their parents are pushing. None of them are here anymore. Most of them that succeed come in despite their family opposition. Like I said, my mom cried for three days. My dad said I'd never be a priest, never make it as a priest. And my 82-year-old aunt said, I thought you liked girls. <laughs> that was my family's reaction. We never had a priest before. And so this is what's going on. He dealt with some of the king, the sons of kings, and converted them too. And so within a generation, the Irish were transformed by God's grace into a Catholic nation. Way before anybody else. He suffered, though, much opposition from the pagans, the Druids. They criticized him both in England and in Ireland. And you know, ironically, who criticized him the most? Can't believe it. The church. What is going on? It's like today. 
our own church is criticizing the sacred form of the extraordinary form of the mass. What's going on? Yet we're embracing certain priests or endorsing sodomy. What's going on? But it's not the first. Patrick faced this. Let's pray to him. In a relatively short time, the island experienced a Christian spirit, Catholic church, and was prepared to now send out missionaries all over the world, Christianizing all of Europe. Now, sadly, they got to have missionaries sent to them from Africa places. So Patrick is responsible. He ended Irish slavery. He reduced intertribal warfare and crime. He established convents and monasteries. He reminded the Irish people that they can all live an honest, pious, and good life without war and bloodshed. And he gave their lives a purpose. You were created by God to love him and to get to heaven. So St. Patrick is the patron saint of not only Ireland, but get this, Nigeria. And where is the faith being persecuted more in the world right now that it's the most dangerous place in the world is Nigeria. This is unbelievable how it all ties together. Now, what's ironic, he's also the patron of engineers. I have an engineering degree. I'm like, whoa, this is a connection because St. Patrick is the patron of engineers. So let's take a look at the next slide. On March 17th, which is coming up Friday, we celebrate his feast day. It's said to be the date that he died, and it's actually a holy day of obligation in Ireland. And so, um, powerful stuff. And go to our next slide. He's known only from two short writings, okay? One is his Confessio. Do you know that we always hear about the Confessions of St. Augustine? Do you know we have the Confessions of St. Patrick? There it is on your screen, the Confessions of St. Patrick. It's not long. It's very short. Father Matthew Tommy was telling me yesterday, it's only like this thick, and Deacon Tim Childers, one of our Marians, reads it every St. Patrick's Day. This is really good. So this confessio is really a spiritual autobiography, like St. Augustine's Confessions. And then he wrote a letter to Coroticus, who was a general denouncing the British mistreatment of Irish Christians and slavery. Now, other than Augustine, no religious has ever bared his innermost soul as St. Patrick did in these writings. You've probably never heard of the Confessions of St. Patrick, but this is worth reading. He spent years as a slave, as I said, and issued this plea on behalf of those in slavery. His letter to the soldiers of Coroticus, he wanted to shame that general and his soldiers for they're blood-stained uh, and blood-taking from the innocent Christians who he said he had given birth to God and confirmed them in Christ. So you're killing my own people. Patrick said that he did not know what grieved him more, those who were slain, slain those who were captured and enslaved, or the enslavers themselves who he said may need the most prayer because those are whom the devil has so deeply ensnared. Fascinating. We do not have, listen to this, any other firsthand account 
of someone who was captured by barbarians, enslaved and survived. There's nothing else like this in the history of mankind that we have in his short writings. They're worth reading. You know, modern slavery obviously is an enduring problem in Nigeria, where St. Patrick is this patron saint, I said, the militant Islamist group, the terrorist Boko Haram, they are infamous for kidnapping and enslaving. We gotta pray to him. I never thought of praying to St. Patrick for what's happening in Nigeria. He's become known for a life of sacrifice, prayer, and fasting. And though, although he was not the first Christian missionary in Ireland, as we said, he was the most successful. Ireland changed. He's not the first bishop, but he was the one bishop who changed everything, as we said. And it is said that an angel conveyed to him that he would die, get this, in Northern Ireland, in a place called Saul. Now, what's funny about that, which he did, he died in Northern Ireland. Now, if you don't know the history, I remember when I was a kid, every night on the news, there was some report of the IRA and the British, or the um, Protestant and the Catholic bombings, car bombings, bloodshed between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Now we have St. Patrick who can bring these two together. So let's watch a quick one and a half minute video that kind of summarizes. Nope, sorry, not yet, not video yet. Sorry, sorry. Let's go to our next slide. Let's talk about some of the legends before we get to the video. All right, first of all, you all know some of these legends, right? Are they true? All right, by the seventh century, Patrick was legendary and these legends began to grow. What about the snakes? Okay, so there was the legend that he drove out all the snakes of Ireland, right? Well, a lot of people say, well, there are no snakes in Ireland. Well, yeah, if he drove them all out, there would not be any snakes in Ireland. But a lot of people say there never was, so this could be more of a legend or a tradition, but it doesn't matter because what is the meaning? What is the literal meaning of that? He drove out the serpent. He drove out the evil. For a period of time, Irish was as Ireland was as holy and immaculate as you could get next to the Blessed Virgin. And so he, he did this. And so Patrick himself actually wrote that he raised people from the dead. You know how many people he said he rose from the dead? 33. Some were deceased for many years. That'd be kind of interesting. Now, he also reportedly prayed for the provision of food for some hungry sailors that were traveling by land through a desolate area. And the sailors record that all of a sudden, magically out of nowhere, a herd of swine magically appeared, providing food for them. Once, a pagan leader of what they call the Druids, and I can't remember if that's different or the same as the Celtics, because uh, we see the Boston Celtics, it's really the Boston Celtics, right? Um, legend has it that Patrick and his men, when they were attacked by this Druid and his forces, that Patrick and his men, which were vastly outnumbered, became a herd of deer. And they leapt through the attackers, they danced through them. Now what's so funny is on the way over here this morning, about 12 deer across the road right in front of me, running right up to our White House. And they were kind of like, they have that like kind of that 
they kind of gallop, you know, they, they, they have like that thing. And here's what it says. It says that they leapt through their attacker singing a song that has been sung ever since. You know what the name of that song is? St. Patrick's Breastplate. That's one of the most known and powerful. I mean, it, it's so powerful. If you haven't read it, sung it, prayed it, you should. It's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. So... Meeting with the chief on the, on the next day, which was Easter, Patrick is said to have professed to, the, to this leader the mystery of the Trinity by plucking a sham, shamrock from the grass and disclosing the greatest secret of heaven, telling him that it lays right there at your feet. And so he put this picture in his mind of what the Trinity was. Now, again, some people will dispute it. I guess my point is, how could you dispute it? How could you definitively confirm it? You can't. It's oral tradition. I believe it. And so in, in all this is going on in pagan Ireland, um, there was at that time a significant number of Irish who had, they believed in triple deities. How perfect that God comes as a trinity to squash those triple deities of false gods. And that is why he is said to have used the shamrock to explain the trinity, even though it may be legend. It, 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 the meaning is what matters. So let's take a look at our next slide. Here's a picture, an ancient stained glass window of Patrick holding a shamrock, the national flower of Ireland. I didn't know it was a flower. I thought it was little grass. But it is. And so, so moved that, that this leader granted Patrick permission to preach the true faith to all the peoples of that part of Ireland called Aaron. E-R-I-N. That's where we get the name Aaron. Fascinating. So when word of all this started to spread, there was another chief, Dichu, who vowed to kill St. Patrick. So he hunted him down, confronted him, and raised his sword. He had a chance to kill him. Like, remember David in the Old Testament, right? And so he had a chance to kill him. But at that moment, we had St. Patrick's first miracle. What happened is that savage who raised the sword to kill him, his arm locked up couldn't move his arm like it turned to stone he was unable to move it and overwhelmed this Dichu offered to Patrick his barn as a peace offering which Patrick offered the very first mass in Ireland that we know of now I assume there had to be another mass because there was a bishop there before him but this is the first place they know that a mass was celebrated in Ireland. And he dedicated the barn as the first church. Now, it's possible that the bishop was there helping to evangelize, but didn't have an actual church. I don't know. But this is what is said was the first mass in the first church. Fascinating. And so it's crazy. Do you know that a lot of non-Catholics are now, there's a huge movement, do you know this? That St. Patrick was not even Catholic. Isn't there an expression when you say something and they say, is the Pope Catholic? Well, I don't know, nowadays, sorry. <laughs> now, the question is, how could you say that? 
how could you say St. Patrick wasn't Catholic? And St. Patrick <clears throat> was purely Catholic. He ordained many priests. He divided Ireland into dioceses. He held church councils. He founded several monasteries and urged the people to grow through the sacraments, just like we're trying to do today. Patrick even said he was Catholic. He even wrote that and listed a long line of canons that he drew up for the church in England. So legends about St. Patrick, you got to be careful. They're all over the place. But the truth is, he was Catholic. He was humble. He was courageous. Now, let's watch that quick video that's only a minute and a half long. Let's watch that quick video that kind of summarizes St. Patrick. Well, first of all, St. Patrick wasn't even Irish. What the? Born in Britain in the late 4th century, Mywin Sukkot was captured and enslaved by Irish raiders. After years of forced labor, he escaped to Britain, where he joined the Catholic Church, changed his name to Patricius or Patrick. Years later, he returned to Ireland as a Christian missionary, devoting nearly 30 years to converting the Irish. Now, legend has it that Patrick drove all the snakes out of Ireland, but to tell you the truth, there never were snakes on the island. When he finally died, Patrick became the patron saint of Ireland, despite his British heritage. It all began in 1903, when St. Patrick's Day, also known as Feast Day, became a national holiday in Ireland, celebrated on March 17th, the day of St. Patrick's death. Festivities usually just amounted to attending church and gathering for feasts. In fact, drinking was actually banned in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day up until the 1970s. Irish immigrants brought the tradition to America in the early 1700s, where it evolved into a secular holiday, often centered around drinking and celebrating all things Irish. The first ever St. Patrick's Day Parade was held in Boston in 1737. And today, there are over 100 St. Patrick's Day Parades across the U.S. In Chicago, they use 40 pounds of green dye to turn the river even greener each year. And New York City's annual parade is the largest in the world, with an estimated 2 million spectators. With over 34 million Americans claiming Irish ancestry, even more claiming to be Irish when they're not, it's no surprise this holiday has become one of the largest in the country. So thank you, everybody. Hopefully that gives you a little idea who St. Patrick was. Just a quick little short video. Now, I, at the break here, I told the people were here. Now, coming up this Friday is a Friday in Lent, but it's St. Patrick's Day. Can you eat corned beef and cabbage? Okay. First of all, in Ireland, if you are watching from Ireland, you can. Because in Ireland, it's a holy day of obligation and a solemnity. So a solemnity always takes precedence, even over days of penance, which Fridays in Lent. And actually, did you know this? Every Friday is a day of penance. Did you know that? Technically, we are not supposed to eat meat on any Friday of the year. People don't know this. It's, it's a requirement inside Fridays in Lent. But every Friday during the year, we're not supposed to eat meat. But the church has granted an indult, like here in the United States. The USCCB says you can replace it with another form of penance. Okay? And, you know, don't give up cauliflower if you hate cauliflower. You know, it doesn't work that way. So we're, we're supposed to give another form of penance. So anyway, can you eat corned beef and cabbage on St. Patty's Day since it falls on a Friday in Lent? Yes. If you're in Ireland or you have a dispensation. Now, this is interesting because St. Patrick's Day is not a solemnity. A day of penance should trump just a feast. 
Now, solemnity, which is the highest, that trumps a day of penance. But a day of penance, like a Friday in Lent, trumps a feast. Unless it's your patronal feast, like we marrying fathers, if it was St. Stanislaus uh, feast day, for instance, then for us, it would be a, fee a celebration. And we would eat meat. So here's what's interesting. The church provides sometimes when it offers penances to everybody, like we do Fridays in Lent. So every Friday of the whole year, as I just explained, and the season of Lent, abstinence from meat or from some other food, if it's a Friday outside of Lent, is determined by the Episcopal Conference of Bishops, like I just said. And it is observed unless a solemnity falls on that Friday then the solemnity you celebrate. Now, the only way you can have corned beef and cabbage is if you were given a dispensation. Did you know in Washington, D.C., the bishop there gave a dispensation for St. Patrick's Day? Now, that's one place that probably needs the day of penance, but it's another topic. <laughs> it's another topic for another time. But there was a dispensation given. Now, you can always ask your parish priest People don't know this, to dispense you. Now, please, I don't want to get a phone call from some priest, Father Chris, what did you do? You know, I, I had a line of 100 people after Mass asking me for dispensation. So, you know, be, be prudent. But anyway, a lot of Catholics don't know this, but the Code of Canon Law gives pastors of parishes the power to, quote, grant in individual cases a dispensation from the obligation of observing a feast day or a day of penance. So if your grandmother is Irish and lives and dies for St. Patrick and she's 98 years old and you want to make her a cabbage dinner on this, you can go to your priest and get a dispensation to eat corned beef and cabbage with her. As long as there's a just reason and the local bishop hasn't said otherwise. So the law says the pastor can do this in individual cases, which means he has to prove it individually one at a time. And so just don't assume that you can gorge on corned beef and cabbage this year because it's on Friday. So there's a little things you got to keep in mind. All right. Now, what are the three weapons that St. Patrick told us that we should all use. This is very interesting. All right, he gave, basically, before I get to them, um, basically St. Patrick, as I said, gave, started this island of saints and scholars that, that would then evangelize other nations, right? And um, it's intriguing to see that, that this conqueror of pagans, converter of an entire nation, banisher of demons, raiser of the dead, worker of miracles, bearer of the staff of Christ, was criticized by the Catholic Church. It's kind of like St. Padre Pio, but I think that's what made him even more holy. But these accusations, they're nothing compared to all the testimonies of his saintliness. So he said there are three spiritual weapons that you use to convert a nation and to impact a planet. Now, they're not surprising, but are we doing them? One, unceasing prayer. You know, forced to attend those sheep in the mountains of Ireland, he would pray sometimes as many as 100 times a day. 
or even a hundred times at night, like the ejaculatory prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Father Dan said he used to try to do that 500 times a day sometimes. Now, you don't want to get into just a robotic repetition, but yes. Um, he prayed for his freedom and deliverance from Ireland, which was not to come from nearly seven years. So it allowed him to pray even more. Now, here's the interesting thing that he said, and I never thought about this. He described how many times the Holy Spirit would cry out and pray on his behalf. I got to be honest with you, I'd never heard that. And you know what he quoted as I was reading his writings yesterday? Romans 8, 26. He said, it's, which says, the Spirit helps us in the weakness of our own prayer. For we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf with groaning that cannot be put into words. So if you're at a loss... You're falling asleep. Ask the Holy Spirit to cry out. How did he say it? Cry out and pray on your behalf. I thought that was fascinating. The second thing he said, immersion in Scripture. Again, we all know this. But again, how much do we do this? In the 62 pair, short paragraphs that he wrote in his confessions, there were more than 300 references to scripture. When Patrick returned home to England, he so immersed himself in scripture of the Latin Vulgate that it began to affect everything he did. Every word he said, every action he did, he kept thinking back, how does this connect to scripture? And although we read this, like, okay, the second key is read scripture. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. Are you really doing that? This is why Lexio Divina and other forms of prayer are so powerful. And then third, perseverance. Personally, my favorite. This is the ability to endure hardships over time, which we are all facing. So St. Patrick prayed for seven years to escape, almost seven, to escape being a slave in Ireland. And it took him decades to complete his education. That, that's another perseverance. Decades to become a priest, then a bishop, to get papal endorsement, assemble a team that could build up the church in Ireland. All this took patience, perseverance. And so he did not return back to Ireland until he was in his 40s or 50s. I'm like, whoa. Again, I see a connection to, to St. Patrick. But when he did, he got to every province in Ireland. It took hundreds, he built, it took hundreds of prayers and, and hundreds of uh, challenges, but he built hundreds of new churches to hold all the people that he was bringing to God. And so what's the summary here? The, this was a fearless priest, fiery in faith. This was not some wimpy, passive, afraid to say a word of the truth, this guy did not fear that. It says that he traveled with an army geared for the conversion of a nation comprised of, listen to this, priests, judges, smiths, like horse uh, shoe smiths and all that, soldiers, cooks, 
gardeners, I don't know what you do with a gardener, brewers, farmers, masons, carpenters, brickmakers, artists, tailors, poets, and musicians. <laughs> Talk about an army. And whatever, or, or I should say, whenever they pitched camp, it says, there would be a new church built and outfitted, and the village would be baptized, and a new parish would be born. And then they would pack up and hit the road again. What a fascinating, that's your history of Ireland. Not this pagan tours you want to take and, and see all the sun gods and the moon gods. This is your history of Ireland. And so let's go to our next slide. The course that St. Patrick set to Christianize the whole of Ireland within 200 years of his ministry beginning, making Ireland the only country in Europe that knelt before the cross peacefully without the bloodshed, like we saw in England or France, bringing an end to slavery, bringing an end to human sacrifice, and tribal intertribal warfare. What an accomplishment. He really was a new Moses. Now, we always, we never, I have never connected St. Patrick with Moses, ever. But listen to this. Towards the end of his life, St. Patrick went up to the mountains to hold conference with God. And there he battled the elements and demonic powers, doing penance. Listen to this. This is in writings centuries, over a thousand, over 1,500 years old. He went up to do penance for divine mercy upon the Irish people. Wow. The outcast of the demons went like this, it says. They would gather around him in the form of black birds of prey swooping and screeching and screaming to disturb this holy bishop and his meditations. They were so dense, these demonic black birds, that they seemed to cover the whole mountain like a cloud, and they so filled the air that Patrick could see neither the sky nor the earth nor the ocean. This is all the accounts that are written. You can look it up. Patrick was known then to drive them from his presence by ringing a bell. Now, this was how it happened. It, the, the, the ringing of the bell would echo out into Ireland, scattering all these evil creatures. And they say that that's when the snakes left. That's how he drove them out, as the legend goes. And so this saint, St. Patrick, however, he would not come down from the mountain. Even after he got rid of these demonic creatures, he would not leave the mountain. This is what's really, and this is why I love this guy. It's like St. Faustina when she argued with Jesus, when Jesus said he was going to leave the convent. She said, no, you're not. You're not going anywhere, Jesus. And he said, yes, I am. I'm not happy with what's going on here. And she put him back in the tabernacle. And he said, I'm leaving. He came back out. She put him back in. And I'm like, go St. Faustina. 
and Jesus stayed. That's what we got to do with our homes, our convents, our monasteries, our shrines. And so, so St. Patrick refused to leave the mountain, even though he had vanquished all the demons, but now he was going to wrestle with God himself. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a wrestler. Like all this connection is so incredibly cool. And so like Jacob, he was going to wrestle God to secure the interests of his people. He was going to defend his people. He was going to wrestle God for his people. I'm like, this guy is more amazing than I ever thought growing up hearing about St. Patrick. So he did. So then the angel, then after he did this, and he's like, God, I'm not leaving until you hear my pleas for my people, until you hear my intercessory and you help my people. And God was frustrated with them, just like I'm sure even more so today. But who do we have going up onto the mountain? Who do we have willing to wrestle for the people? So this angel then, after this is all going on, the angel announced to him that God gives in. And to reward his fidelity in prayer and penance, many of his people would be gathered into heaven as would cover the land and the sea as far as he could see. That was to replace all those evil demonic birds. And you know what Father Seraphim used to always say? Father Seraphim always used to say, you know how many people will get into heaven? I was like, Father, nobody knows that. He says, the world will end when the same number of human souls enters into heaven that replaces the number of angels that fell from the sky that day. Seraphim used to always say that. So in the Bible, it talks about the multitude of the, the, the angels that fell from the sky, the third of the angels, billions, billions. And so Seraphim used to say that when the number of human souls that replaces the number of angels that fell from the sky that day, the world will end. To me, it's the same thing here with Patrick. You had these birds, these demonic birds covering the sky and the, and the ground and the sea. And, and all of a sudden the angel comes and says, because of your prayer and penance, you don't think one person can make a difference. You can change the world. Many of his people would be gathered into heaven as would cover the land and the sea as far as he could see. That's incredible. He resolved to persevere in fasting and prayer until his petition was granted. So he still wouldn't leave. God's trying to kick him off the mountain. And so the angel then came back again to comfort to him and announced a new concession. Can you imagine you're bargaining with God? But this makes perfect sense. What did Abraham say to God? He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, Lord, if I can find 60 no righteous people, will you destroy it? No. 50. If I find 50 people, will you destroy it? No. If I find 40, 40, do I hear 30, 30, 20, 20, 10, 10? It's like this great auctioneer. This man's giving himself for God. That's the message of the priest. Not message, the mission. That's the mission of the priest, to give of himself for the people. And when our priests are not doing that, especially our church leaders, our bishops, our cardinals, I mean, pray for them. 
So many, I just don't believe, have the conception of what it takes to sacrifice. Now, I do. The problem is, I don't always have the strength. I fail, but I know it, which makes me maybe even more culpable. So I ask for your prayers. I know what I got to do, but sometimes I just wimp out. Sometimes I'm just exhausted. I'm like, Lord, I can't do the cold shower this morning. So we need prayers. But anyway, this, this angel came back and announced a new concession that all these, and, and this is what St. Patrick says. So the angel comes back with a new deal. <laughs> and Patrick says, no, not good enough. Not until I get all these prayers answered on behalf of my people. He would not relinquish. He would not leave the mountain. He would not relax. He kept doing penance. He kept doing fasting until everything he asked for the people was granted. So the message then came that his prayers from heaven were heard. And listen to this. This is what it was told him from heaven. Seven years before judgment day. That's scriptural. The sea would spread over Ireland to save its people from the temptations and terrors of the Antichrist. Ireland, if you are listening, you were given a special promise from heaven by God to be protected from the Antichrist. You know what that entails? You got to turn back to God. If you refuse God's protection, he's giving you protection from the Antichrist. If you turn back to him, you will be protected. <clears throat> you need to hark, you need to hear. And Patrick himself would be the judge of all the Irish people on the last day. This is amazing. Pray to him. Turn back to God. Such were the extraordinary favors which St. Patrick, with his wrestling with God, his unceasing prayers, his demanding penances, his unconquerable love that God granted. Many penitential deeds, he did it, and it was obtained for the people whom he evangelized. Ireland, you're a chosen people, along with Poland, I believe, and the Philippines. Don't reject God. People like us in the United States are just following in your foot tracks. Please blaze a trail for us. Please. Because this is how God set it up. People are like, oh, I, I don't. I go directly to God. I don't involve anything with people. Well, tell that to Moses. Tell that to the 12 apostles. Why would Jesus waste his time with the 12 apostles if he says, don't talk to anybody else but me? Why would he even form 12 apostles? Of course. This is the way God has willed it from the beginning. So Patrick finally comes down from the mountain. <laughs> and he died on March 17th, we believe. We don't know the year. Some say as late as 493. Some say as early as 465. But all we know is that he came from a land in darkness and left that land in a bright light. That's what all of us are going to be asked before God when we die. Remember, in heaven, how you distinguish each other will not be, as I say a hundred times, how tall or short, thin or fat, pretty, handsome, ugly or not. 
you will be completely designated in heaven by how bright a light you shone the light of Christ here on earth. That's how you will be looked at in heaven. So Patrick brought the light to Ireland. Even the pagans hail him as someone who saved Ireland. And in that lies a strange and subtle hope that the pagans of today, even unknowingly, will come back to God through his prayers and intercession. Look what he did on that mountain. All you have to do is open your heart to receive that grace. And it's not just for the Irish, it's for all of us, especially if we unite ourselves to the Irish and we pray for Ireland. In that hope, dreary as the world seems right now, Catholics got to do all we can to tell the world about St. Patrick. This guy is one of the big hitters. All right, we got to tell him to all who will listen, all who will hear us, do all that we can to bring this man back into the hearts of the people. Right now, St. Patrick, what do we know him for? Oh, green beer. All right, let's realize that we need a happier and holier St. Patrick's Day this year. It's coming up Friday, and I'm finishing now. One of the joys of being Catholic is our recognition of the communion of the saints. Recognizing the importance, the holy men and women that went before us that show that it can be done, that intercede for us and inspire us. You know, the reason I delayed my vocation for years was because I flat out said there's no way I can crawl into a bed by myself every night for the rest of my life. So far, God has given the grace. And you know how I know it's given the grace? I would never have believed it was possible if it wasn't for the saints, right? The saints are examples to us. The saints are ways that show we can do it. Now, if, if we never saw a saint, if we never heard of a saint, wouldn't I say to God, you know, that's pretty impossible, Lord. No, it's not. The saints show us it can be done. One of the joys is, is, is having this communion of saints. So we can make this St. Patrick's Day holier than ever by learning more about St. Patrick. You just did share this video, read his confessions, praying for his intercession, which he did on the mountain that God will supply us with these weapons that he wanted to bring to us, the good news to the people that we are in dire need of being re-Christianized. And so how do we know it? And this is my last two slides. This is how we know St. Patrick today. Sure, next slide. Leprechauns. Guinness beer. Corned beef and cabbage. Turning the Chicago River green. Parades. These, let's go to our next slide. There's a picture of the parade. <clears throat> Even that has controversy. The bishop being the grand marshal and welcoming the LBGTQ. And I'm not saying we ever exclude people. We don't. We love people. We love all people. Even more so. But we don't celebrate their lifestyle. So even the parades have gone astray. Let's not forget the real meaning of this day. St. Patrick's Day. Let's finish with a prayer to St. Patrick, and it's on your screen. 
And let's finish this prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I arise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, the wisdom of God guide me. May the eye of God look before me, the ear of God hear me, the word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me, the way of God lie before me, the shield of God defend me, the host of God save me. May Christ shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lay down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, God bless all of you. We thank you for joining us. Remember, Friday is this special day, this feast day. And so we unite. Remember, we not to unite with the Irish. We need to pray with them. Irish, you people listening, blaze that trail for us. You saved the church. You saved Western civilization in the past. You're being called to do it again. And we here in America are behind you. We have to do it together. That's why we're always promoting being part of our Marian family. Be a Marian helper. We show MIC, if Brother Mark can show it, micprayers.org. This is my little attempt, and for more port, those in, before me, like Father Pelczynski, and, 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 and all the, Father Jorzembowski, and all the mirrors, I, I just inherited this. I didn't build a thing. But I'm trying to uphold and keep this Marian family. So join us from all around the world. Go to micprayers.org. It doesn't cost a thing. If you can never donate a dollar, I don't care. Just come get the grace. Get the grace of our masses, prayers, rosaries, just like you were a, a Marian father or priest of the uh, brother of the Immaculate Conception. You get the same grace as we do. It's amazing. If you don't understand divine mercy, please pick up our book, Understanding Divine Mercy. There it is on your screen, shopmercy.org, 804 Marian is the phone number. And you know what? I don't care if you can't afford it. Write to me, I will send you a free copy. If you truly can't afford it, that is just fine. I want you to have it. I will send you a free copy. The same with the sadly the most book that sold out in Ireland. Let's go to the last slide. This breaks my heart. Now, in one sense, I'm happy that people who are struggling with tragedy are turning to God. But that book, After Suicide, is right now on the best-selling books of Ireland. That's scary. 
I'm glad that the people are turning to God in a time of tragedy, but this means we need more prayers so that there aren't so many suicides. Now, this book helps with any suffering and loss, not just suicide, but please, like those families that I heard about, the mother with that 18-month-old girl before the train, that 16-year-old boy, and dozens of others. They are experiencing what it, life is like without God. Even those who are faithful are carrying that shoulder just like Christ did on the cross. Christ never sinned, but what did he feel? The abandonment of God the Father on the cross. The people, you people of Ireland are feeling the abandonment for your brothers and sisters turning away from God. You're not being punished. You're sharing in the cross of Christ. I can't wait to get back there. But in the meantime, we got to pray. We got to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, Ireland saved the church, saved Western civilization. They may be called to do it again, but they can't do it without our prayers. And so God bless all of you. God bless Ireland. And may this St. Patrick's Day be more than corned beef, cabbage, and green beer. Okay? There's so much more to it. And we ask that you engage in your faith. Live it. It's Lent. Penance and sacrifice celebration on Friday of St. Patrick. Let us live our faith in the beautiful example. No other faith has a history or rich tradition like this. This is why it's the Church of Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, I can't say hallelujah, it's Lent. But God bless all of you for joining us, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.